Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. All right, man, that was so good. (laughs) Well, listen, uh, we're going to finish our series this morning. And what we've been doing is we've been looking into the foundation of our church. And in the foundation of our church, uh, we have been discovering who, who we are and the purpose for why we exist. And, and when, we, when we've been doing this, this examination of our foundation, we've been looking at the essence. Uh, the essence is who we are naturally without trying to be something. Who we are naturally without trying to be something different. And uh, I think what's so interesting in the, the, the body of Christ today is that there are a lot of churches that will have advertisements, and I see them on Facebook all the time, about we're not like every other church. But then everything they're doing is like every other church that says they're not like every other church. (laughs) And I think it's important that we examine these things so that we know who we are. We're not trying to be different from every other church. We're just trying to be who we're supposed to be. And so we've been looking at these things, and, and we've been talking about the essence, as Millie Uh, at the 50th anniversary, said we need to embrace the essence and forsake the form. In other words, things may evolve and change, but as long as the essence remains the same, we will continue to be who we are created and designed by God to be. And so over the last couple of weeks, we focused on two two qualities that make us who we are. Number one, we are an apostolic community. We're an apostolic community. If you didn't have a chance to listen to that, I encourage you to go back two weeks and listen to that because that builds into the next point, which was what we talked about last week. Because we are an apostolic community, we are a five-fold house. That means that there are evangelists here. I was just talking uh, to a a good friend of mine in in the back row, and we were in, we were, uh, Tony, and we were in the bathroom, and I said, do you know who you are? And he said, what? I said, you're an evangelist. He said, how do, you, how do I know that? He said, I said, because of everything that you tell me about all the stories about you talking to people about Jesus at your job. Here's what evangelist does. Evangelists believe there's a pulpit everywhere they're going. <laughs> they just, they're constantly, oh, this is a, another pulpit. They go from pulpit to pulpit to pulpit to pulpit. They, it is an ongoing preach or sermon. Everywhere they go, they go, oh, there's a pulpit here too. I'm glad you said that, which brings me to my message this morning. He's an evangelist. And so we talked about you recognizing who you are, God, and then just being released to go and do that. Do that wherever you are and do that in here because we're an apostolic community. And so this morning, I'm going to wrap up this series by focusing in on what I like to call everything else. Because we could go through piece by piece through several, but I'm just going to try to condense this. And um, I just want to, at this moment, this seems very random, but I'll bring it all together. I want to acknowledge uh, Matt's Moses beard. Uh, Matt, I told him, I said, I said, what's up, Moses? And I said, next week you need to bring a staff. And he said, absolutely. And if I bring the staff at 1130, I'll stand up and say, let my people go. (laughs) So I've got, I've got 42 minutes to get into everything else. <laughs> oh, anyways, that was amazing. All right, go ahead, bow your heads, let's pray. 
Oh, Lord, I thank you for humor. Just, a, it's a gift. Thank you for humor, Lord. I thank you for joy. Father, your word says that righteousness, peace, and joy are the kingdom's bread in the Holy Spirit. So this morning, as we get into your word, I pray you would fill us with joy. I pray you would fill us with peace. I pray that you would fill us, do what the Holy Spirit does, impart what we hear, that it would get into our, our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Early uh, 20th century actor uh, Will Rogers said this, and I'm sure you're very familiar with this quote. He said, you never get a second chance at a first impression. You never get a second chance at a first impression. I think that we would all agree that that's true, because when we look back at the course of our lives, I am sure, undoubtedly, all of you have had people, places, and experiences that have left a lasting impression on who you are. You never get a second chance at a first impression. Now, unfortunately, some of those experiences that you've experienced, or some of those people and places, have left negative impressions. But I'm here not to talk about the negative impressions. I'm more here to talk about the positive impressions that have been imparted to you. Let me give you an example of a, a positive impression in my life. About 2005, 2006, I was working at UPS on the west side of uh, Columbus off of Trebu Road, and a friend who was also a coworker of mine had uh, told me about a new fast food chicken place. So I decided at that time that before my shift, I was going to go and I was going to, uh, it, 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 I was going to uh, review what this place was all about. So I go in, I order my chicken sandwich, my fries, and I sit down. Or actually, they give me a number, I sit down. And I, I'm just waiting there. And they come, they take my number, they, they, they take my plate and they, or my tray and they set it down uh, at the table. And I'll never forget what happened then. I said thank you to them, and they came back with the most unexpected thing I could ever think to hear. Everybody say it with me. They said, my pleasure. That was a game changer. I was like shocked, a little bit of stunned. I didn't even get to the sandwich. But what I quickly found out is that if I came for the chicken, I was staying for the my pleasure. <laughs> I was going to now, from that point on, every time I'm in that store, think of strategic ways where I can hear that again. If I, need nap if I don't even need napkins, I'm still going to the counter. Excuse me, can I get napkins? Thank you. <laughs> Ordering stuff I don't even need, just so that I could hear my pleasure. It's interesting because that has become a staple in our home. This is, a, this is a every single month, this is a place that we go. And there are times, even as uh, Pastor Dwight said, yep, there's even times where uh, I may do something for Allison, and Allison may do something for me, and when we hear thanks, it's like, my pleasure. Where do we get that from? We, get, we got that from Chick-fil-A. But here's what you need to understand about Chick-fil-A. The reason why that phrase is even spoken is because it flows from the values in the company's foundation. The founder of Chick-fil-A was Truett Cathy. 
And he believed, listen, this is a direct quote, and I believe this is absolutely true. He believed that using that phrase would surprise customers and stand out in the fast food industry. Yep, sure did. Because there's no other place, it, there's no other place now that can say my pleasure because people would be like, you stole that. I know where that came from. That it would surprise guests and it would stand out in the fast food industry. I don't know if you've seen those Instagram reels where like it's literally, <laughs> it's someone who's driving away from a Chick-fil-A and there's like an employee of Chick-fil-A, they forgot their meal and the employee Chick-fil-A is like sprinting to catch the car down just to hand them it and they're like, thanks. And they're like, my pleasure. It's so, it is so the culture of what Chick-fil-A is all about. You never get a second chance at a first impression. And by the way, I believe that that has yielded massive re results. Listen to me, a, on a yearly basis, Chick-fil-A has $16 billion in revenue. Billion. And they're not even open on Sunday. That stands to the fruit that you never get a second chance at a first impression. As I've been working on this series in the month of August, what I have been thinking about is my first impressions here that have left a lasting impression on me. And my family and I started to come to Redeemers in 1997, and, uh, which is crazy to think because that will mean that I have been here in a series of about four years, 30 years of my life. But my family and I started to come to Redeemers in 1997. The truth is that uh, it was rather ironic because I lived right off of Courtright Road for 16 of those years. And up until the point that we had come here, I really didn't even know this place existed. The only time I remember coming down that hill was to go sledding down the hill. And there was a tree right there that my brother almost died hitting. It was super steep and he was headed right for it. And I vividly remember that was my only interaction and experience with this place up until 1997. A friend of mine had invited me to a youth Bible study in the neighborhood, and that was kind of the open door into my experience at Redeemers. And I had been going for a couple months to that Bible study, and then we decided as a family to uh, come here. And so I vividly remember my first impression of walking into the service at Redeemers. I vividly remember it. It was not in this building. It was actually over where the youth is, or the youth room is now. And that was the side of the, the, the church that this actually did not even exist at that time. And I was over there, and I vividly remember walking into the sanctuary, into the service. We were a little bit late. I don't know why we were a little bit late. It seemed like it was either we were late, or you guys were really ready to start. <laughs> because... I just remember things were absolutely going by the time that we walked into that place. And I want you to, I, I want to share some of my first impressions. And these first impressions are things that are not just for me, because I don't know if you remember the first week we talked about uh, the fact that I had uh, sent out a message to different people just asking them, who are we as Redeemer's Church? And what you will find is that a lot of the impressions I had are the same exact impressions they had which speaks to the culture of who we are. I'm not sharing these things just so you hear about my experience. I'm sharing them for multiple reasons. Number one, I'm sharing them because I believe there are things that make us who we are without trying. That's, that's what organic is all about. 
It's being who you are without trying to be something different. And so these are things I believe that make us who we are without trying. Number two, I'm, I'm sharing these things because I believe that this is who we need to continue to be in order to be who God designed us to be. That if we remain true to who we are, God will continue to have his hand on us. And I don't think anybody in this room wants God to remove his hand. And the third thing is, I believe just like Chick-fil-A, that what I experienced is directly connected to our church's foundation. That these impressions I had were connected to the foundation of who we are. So the first thing that I noticed was that we have been and always and strive to always be a multi-generational church. We have been and strive to always be a multi-generational church. The first thing that I noticed when I walked into the sanctuary was kids my age that looked like me. Now, that meant something to me. It was important. I'll get into that. Psalms chapter 145, verse 4 says this. This is in the message translation. Generation after generation stands in all of your work. And I love this. Each one, say each one. Each one tells stories of your mighty acts. What does that scripture tell us? That tells us that the healthiest church environments are places where every generation is blessed by the presence of the other. That every generation is blessed by the presence of the other. Can I tell you, if there's any disassociation or disconnection between the generations, it's simply because we don't understand each other. That's it. But once you understand each other, you will find that just like most things in society, you have way more in common than you have apart. In this place, we will always strive to be a multi-generational church. If all a church, listen, this is so important. If all a church has is the older generations, there's no one to pass down testimonies to. And if all a church has is younger generations, there's a limited understanding of what God can do. You need both because each one tells the stories of what God has done to the other. If all you have is young people without the older to, and, and I'm just, I'm, I'm going to be 40 in September. Crossing the hill, guys. It's all downhill. No, I'm kidding. But here's what I discovered about myself when I finally came to terms with the fact that I'll be 40 in September. That you really think that you know everything when you're young. Until you, until you understand that at different age levels, there are challenges you don't face there. And here's what you need. You need, you need people that have gone through what you're going through to be able to grab a hold of hope, to be, great, be able to grab a hold of what God did in their lives as you cross that plane. Are you understanding? Because otherwise, you will go through it alone. You need multiple generations together 
that are each one sharing stories with the other. Let me just say this. Any church without the next generation will have a short future. But any church without the older generation will be a shallow pool because they don't have enough experience in God to establish an expectation of what God can do. You need to be a part of a place. We need everybody, and here's why. Because those of you that are older, us younger folks, which in a couple weeks I will no longer say that, we need to know about your history with God. We need to know how you were able to go through what you went through and come out on the other side of it. So that when we go through it as well, we have an expectation of what God will do. Let me tell you something. What, I ha what has developed much of my expectation of what God can do is the testimonies I have heard from many in the previous generations in this room. The younger generations, they have their own demons, but so do the older. And, you, and we both need to know how to fight, how to prepare, how to deal with the demons that come. Are you understanding what I'm saying? See, it's been the stories that I've heard, the testimonies I've heard from older generations that have helped me develop an expectation of what God will do when I encounter the same things. The testimonies of the previous generations cultivate a hunger of God in those who come after, afterward. They establish in the next generation what can be expected from God. Generation after generation stands in all of your work, God. Each one tells stories of your mighty acts. Multi-generational church is a kingdom church. I want you to listen to Acts chapter 2, 17. And it shall be in the last days that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. And watch this. And your sons and daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Those are not supposed to be separated. It's not supposed to be the old church where they dream dreams. And the young church where they see visions. It's actually both of them in the same house where they're working together, understanding with the maturity that the older generation has and the ambition and the passion of a younger generation, how to steward what God is doing when he pours out his spirit. They're never supposed to be separated, which is why I'm going to be honest. I have an issue with some of the models of church that are going on. Because it lacks the generations. They will say they're generational, but they will create an atmosphere that will push the generations out and say, well, we didn't, we gave you earplugs. And it's so shallow. It's so shallow because there's something that the older generation can be can, can impart to the younger generation. It's both in revival. I want to be a part of a church where both are represented and revival is poured out. 
When I walked through the doors of the youth sanctuary, I expected to see adults because that was the environment that I came, came, through, came from. But when I came into the room, I was surprised at the multiple generations that were there, at the younger people that were my age. And let me just say something that made this experience here so distinctive. It wasn't that they were just there. It was that they were actually engaged in what was going on. They were engaged. It was evident that Redeemer's Church was not just generationally minded, but they weren't looking to babysit the next generation. So I came out of a, a, young, a church where my perception was that God was tolerated by youth. That God was something that you, uh, you'll get later in your life. But then when I walk into this environment and I see people who are serious about God, that are actually going after God, that are reading the Bible for themselves, they are pursuing Jesus with a passion that was unfamiliar to me. I remember coming, being in a church environment where like, if you were young, like you would look at your friend like, don't raise your hand. Seriously, you're going to do that? And then when I walk into a room of teenagers that are worshiping, it was like, what do they have that I don't have? And by the way, you know what I love about Acts? It says that, Peter said this, he said that the, the Holy Spirit will be for every generation, which means there is, you've maybe heard this in certain circles, it means that there's no junior Holy Spirit, right? And I remember getting absolutely corrected by Dana Duncan, and I loved it because he was so right. We were working on the Our Kids curriculum, and we were talking some, somehow about the Holy Spirit. And at that time, I was so wrong. This was before I was a pastor. <laughs> and I remember we were sitting there, we were talking about the curriculum, and he was talking about the Holy Spirit. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I said something so dumb. I was like, I mean, don't you think that like the Holy Spirit is something that you like you, you start to talk about maybe later? And Dana was like, excuse me? And I was like, well, what? He was like, you don't think kids can be sensitive to the Holy Spirit? You don't think five-year-olds can be filled with the Holy Spirit? You don't think they can prophesy and they can lay hands? And I was like, can we, can, can Thanos, like, rewind time real quick? Because I feel so dumb right now. But he was right. And you know what I love? It wasn't just an idea, it was a conviction. It was like, you're wrong. We're not gonna argue this. Kids can receive the Holy Spirit, no matter how old they are. If John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb, it doesn't matter what age they are. We are a multi-generational church. Second thing that I noticed was that we have been and strive to always be a worship center church, which is why what happened, happened. How many of you, you won't raise your hand for it, but it's like, okay, we've been just kind of here playing music for a while. What's going on? Where are we going next? When you're a worship center church, that is the priority. Giving, you know what I thought to my, I just thought in the middle of worship when we were singing that, it's your breath in our lungs. I just thought, God, you're so amazing because when a child is being developed in the womb of a mom, you're the one that starts 
that heart. It is your breath in those lungs. All of the things can be there. All of the development can be there. But what starts it? It's his breath. So we pour out our praise because of that. Otherwise, we would not be breathing except for the one who gave us the breath to do it. We are a worship-centered church. There are churches where worship is a production and performance for the people. And there, and there are churches where worship is about pure hearts expressing their adoration for Jesus. And let me just say this. If redeemers had to choose between performance and purity, we will choose purity every time. Why? Because worship is an offering, not a product. We're not trying to record a CD. We're not trying to get this to go viral on YouTube. It is an offering that we give to Jesus because it's his breath in our lungs. It's not about perfection. It's not about performance. It's about purity of heart. And let me just say something. I had our piano teacher uh, for our kids uh, come uh, probably the last week of April. If you remember back then, he is a quirky individual. But he's also one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life. And he's been in thousands, not thousands, hundreds of circles, church environments. And he's actually been worship pastors. He was, I think, a worship pastor at Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir in New York. He was a part of that team. He's led all of these things. And I had been over the course of the last year, we'd just been talking about our church. He was actually a, a worship pastor at a church out in um, the Newark area, uh, I believe. And um, he transitioned out of that. And so he was just like, I'm just going to go visit a couple different places. I said, well, come on a Sunday morning. He said, all right. And he's got different church backgrounds than me. But this is what he said. He came up to me in the middle of worship and he said, Caleb, this is amazing. I said, why? I love this. He said, it's not about the music that's coming from the stage. It's about the worship of the people. He said, the goal of every worship leader should be to become forgotten. He said, this place is a worship, this is his direct quote, is a worship leader's dream because the congregation is leading the song. We're not going to pass out popcorn so you can watch worship. Because worship in an apostolic community is about everybody. Hey, do you guys like certain songs? Do you like certain songs? Do you know what you can do? Keep on singing them until they get it and they just stay there? Because I think the goal of a worship leader is to become forgotten and the congregation becomes the leader. Because there's something happening here that's not happening here. And there can come a point where they follow your lead instead of being the leader. And he said, that is the worship leader's dream, to not have the pressure to carry it, my whole self, and you're pouring everything into it, all your musical gifting and ability into it, and people are sitting out in the crowd with their hands in their pockets, wishing they had popcorn, drinking a coffee. That is not worship. It's, you know this, it's not a spectator sport. It is something you do 
Because what ha- wh- who is God to you? You know what I love about our worship team? I love that the fact that the leaders, whether you would be here or not, that's who they'll be. Who they are behind the scenes is just who you see in public. Worship is not an offering, or it's an offering, it's not a product. This is exactly what I experienced in 1997. Purity over performance and production. And that's not only my impression, but that's what some of you said when I asked you about it. It said, worship is always good, especially when we let the Holy Spirit take over and see what God does. We worship God with freedom that the scripture describes and his presence is evident among us. In worship, the flow of the spirit is always allowed and welcomed. That's why we don't hold ourselves hostage to a certain time frame. Because it's about, if we, if we extend that at the expense of losing some of this, that's okay. The third thing that I notice is that we have been and always strive to be an authentic people. If this is the truth, if there's anything that sometimes Christians are known for, it can be being disingenuine. You can hide behind church clothes, scripture quotes, and displays of worship. But when I came as a teenager, this is what I observed. I watched people be honest and vulnerable. This is where that was true. They did not just show me their strengths. They talked about their weaknesses. If, and, and let me just tell you why that was freeing. Because when there are people in your body, maybe leaders or pastors or people that you look up to that you don't know their weaknesses, all you know is their strengths, it develops this thing inside of you that believes, I could never do what they do because they're perfect. I can, never go, I can never go to that level in God because they're perfect. But when you're in an authentic environment, people are honest and they're real. It's so valuable. I believe it's undervalued today. They were open. They were transparent. When a leadership is authentic and real, the people feel at ease not to have, have to be something other than who they are. And I think you know this. Hopefully you know this by now. Some of you who are newer may not know this, but... Uh, newsflash, Pastor Dwight is who he is at 4 o'clock in the morning at his house. (laughs) I mean, I've been in an experience where he has woken me up doing what he does. That's just who he is. there's, There's no change. There's consistency in the authenticity. We are who we are, and that's one of the things that I love about our church. There are so many, uh, by the way, The authenticity is why this group of people looks so diverse. I I want you to get this. The reason why there's so many people from different demographics, things, all, all different levels, is because of the authenticity. Because if you go into an environment where you start to see that you have to be a certain way, you won't, you know you won't fit in unless you conform. But I love the fact that there's so many different walks of life in this room because that shows you that the authenticity in the leadership allows you the freedom to be who you are. 
Do you want to be somewhere where you have to conform to be something? To be so image conscious that you're anxious going to worship? Or do you want to be somewhere where you can come as you are? To the back row, to the front of the row. Doesn't matter. We're glad that you're here. Never underappreciate an authentic church environment. I am going to share this story, and I didn't want to, but I'm going to share it. There is somebody that I know that is a part of a worship ministry at another church. And they had served in the worship ministry, and then out of nowhere, they started to get less and less opportunities. Started getting less and less opportunities. And they kept on asking the leadership, well, what's going on? Where, why, why am I not getting these opportunities? They passed, passed the buck, passed the buck. Finally, somehow they had gotten like a new person that was now the leader. And they finally reached out to that person. <laughs> and the person said, well, why have I not been getting the opportunities? I said, well, when you're up on the stage and you're worshiping, you're doing things with your hands that the leaders don't like. They think... Watch this. They think it's a distraction. You know what? That's an indication of a lack of a worship culture. Because if what you're doing on the stage is a distraction to the people, then they showed up with popcorn. How about you close your eyes and you engage in the one who's worth your worship and stop watching and criticizing people? You know what I thought? I thought, well... That tells me that David wouldn't have been able to be welcomed in that church because the moment he got undignified, you would have said it's a distraction. Okay, thanks for that. How ridiculous is that? So what you're telling the person is, hey, don't be authentic. Don't be who they are. Listen to what you said. We might not be the biggest church, but those that come are authentic. We care about transforming lives, not filling seats. Not another large church where the service seems like a production. The people are genuine and care about others. Great people with lots of love to offer. Authentic, not superficial, unassuming, genuine, salt of the earth. The pastors are down to earth. It's a church where you can come as you are. This is what you said. The pastors are honest, transparent, and approachable. The people are very genuine. It's raw and it's deep. Number four, the fourth thing that I noticed is that we have been and always will strive to be a place that treats people like family. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses 15 and 16, he said, be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Listen to what you said about this. We're people that makes you feel like family. We have a family culture. You, you get treated like family here. I am more vulnerable. Listen to this. I'm more vulnerable here than I am with even my own family. The immediate acceptance and sense of belonging, I think, is felt from the beginning. People have a real concern for helping each other and praying with each other. The people at this church have made me feel a part of a healthy family. We're not a clique type of church. This is what I experienced. There was a, 
uh, anniversary picnic at Blacklick, and I don't remember if this was before I actually came to a service or after I came to a service, but I remember um, really at that moment just feeling like I was on the outside looking in. And we went to this church picnic, and if you're young like that, you're super nervous if you don't have any friends, and you're going into a new environment. It's like uh, day one of school all over again. When you go from eighth to ninth grade, you're like looking for the people that you know. And so I remember I was going, and uh, there was a group of people that were playing basketball. And so I go over there, and the first person, lasting impression, that met me was Jason Dunbar. What's your name? Do you like to play basketball? All right, you're playing right now. All right, hey, he's on my team. Let's get a couple. And from that point, there was just this immediate acceptance. He, he, he pulled me into the church environment. And I, I, you know what's, what's so sad about um, larger churches is that there becomes a threshold point that the leadership really doesn't need you anymore because they can exist with or without you. So whether you come or go, they don't care. As long as they have a base to allow their operations to exist, that's not us. When you're family, when you're here, there's a genuine love. And when you're not here, there's a genuine heartbrokenness. You treat people like family. I got pulled in from day one. And by the way, I just want to let you know that if you are newer to our church, that's why we have designed our small groups, which you can sign up for next week, for this very reason. Because I'm just telling you, Sunday morning is not enough. It's not enough to be connected. There's not enough time. I've got seven minutes before Matt stands up and says, let my people go. <laughs> if I could have Amy actually come up right now. But there's not enough time to be connected and really to feel like you are joined to somebody. And so the small groups are to do, this is our attempt and our measure to try to meet a need that is legitimate and, and, and exists. So that those of you that are among us become known. It's so valuable to be known by each other. And by the way, we're always a place that treats people by, like family. And last Sunday morning, here's a perfect example. Chuck Neville turned 90 years young. 90 years young. He said, how are you doing this morning? I said, I'm just trying to live as long as you. <laughs> and because Chuck is not just a member of the church, or was an elder for a long time, but because he's family. After church today, we have cupcakes in the lobby for everybody to celebrate Chuck. You know why? Because Chuck matters as much as everybody else. Come on. one generation to another generation. Each will share their, the things that God has done. Multi-generational. If you've ever 
not gotten a hug from Chuck, you are missing out. He will squeeze you so hard. It's like, it's like he squeeze, he's like squeezing the breath out of your lungs. And there are days where I've looked for Chuck just for that reason. Because I need it. I need that hug just like anybody else. Last thing, and perhaps the most important quality of our essence, is that we have been and strive to always give the Holy Spirit priority. Which is why this series is not over. We're giving the Holy Spirit priority by talking about the Holy Spirit for two months. Because if there's anything that we want to pursue, it's that. When Moses was leading the Israelites on their exodus, he made this statement. Exodus 33, 15, he said, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. This is what Moses was saying. Moses was saying, if your presence isn't leading us, I am not interested in where you're going to take us. If your presence isn't there, I'm not interested, which is why we didn't transition out of worship. Because this is what we need to understand about what happens in worship. What happens in worship is there become moments where we tap into, through a song or, 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 or uh, lyrics in a song, we tap into a theme which is a banner over our church that the Holy Spirit is identifying. And you know what's amazing about the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit always hovers over things and brings order out of chaos. And there are things that happen supernaturally and spontaneously when we stay where he's hovering. Because he's just bringing order to chaos in our lives. And that looks so many different ways. But the point is, is the reason why we stayed there at the end, and thank you, Amy, for being so sensitive to that, because we don't want to go where he's not leading us. We want to stay where the Holy Spirit is resting. The Holy Spirit is fundamental to our church foundation. Foundation. Gary said this the other day. He said, Pastor Jarvis's desire was that every person who called Redeemer's Church home would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That every single person would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Will you stand with me? Multi-generational church, worship-centered, authentic people, treat people like family, give the Holy Spirit priority. But you know what? That takes the collective group of people saying, I'm willing to carry those cultural values. I'm willing to be in agreement with that by being a person that strives to be authentic, but being a person that wants to treat people out like family. Go out of your way to talk to someone you haven't talked to before, to let them know they're known and they're welcome and they're seen. Don't just put it on, on, on other, somebody else to be like, hey, where were you last week? That, those things are, are what make us who we are.
But it takes people who are willing to carry that culture and say, I'm not just someone who signed off on a membership and I, this is where I come every Sunday morning, but like I will, I will carry those things. I will be a representation of who we are as redeemers. I love what Pastor Dwight has said so many times in so many mission trips. You are a representative not only of Jesus, but you are a representative of Redeemer's Church. You are going under that, that significant role in the kingdom. And so if you're here this morning and you're like, I not only agree with those things, but I want, want to be one of those that carries those values, that, that lives those values out, not just here, but, but off ground everywhere we are. If that's you, will you just lift your hands up like this? Father, we love you. I ask that you would release upon those whose hands are lifted a deep-seated passion and conviction to carry those values. To be someone that loves people well by treating them like family. To be someone who's real and genuine and authentic. To be someone that when we're in the middle of worship, we see that we're leading it too. To be someone who crosses the, the, the enemy's divides that would exist to keep the generations separated. Father, that would be someone that not only is open to other generations speaking into their life and reaching out, but would be one who's intentional in pursuing that as well. That it would go both ways. And Lord, I pray in this next two months, those whose hands are lifted would give the Holy Spirit the priority. That we would not just talk about the Holy Spirit, but it would be experience after experience after experience with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Take us individually and corporately and collectively to a new place in the Holy Spirit, Lord. We love you and we thank you for Redeemer's Church. We thank you for the foundations, the the, the foundational stones that were set up by our forefathers here. I pray that we would not move them. We would keep them in place so that what we build is connected to what the foundation was. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.